What a beautiful thing, like you said, that no one would pick her out. Maybe even people were avoiding her, and she was avoiding others going to the well, you know, in the middle of the day. And Jesus says, no, you're the one I want. The Father is seeking you out to worship in spirit and in truth. It's beautiful, it's redemptive, it's stunning. And to think, who would we count out? Who would I count out? And Jesus would just not. He just wouldn't. I have salvation and eternal life for you. What do you think? Welcome to Faith Refresh, where we take another look at the Bible passages, beliefs, and other church stuff you've probably heard a million times and find something fresh. Hello, welcome back to Faith Refresh, episode 13. Anson, along with Chaplain Justin. Howdy. It is good to be back with you, Justin. It's been a little bit since we recorded an episode. We had a a fundraiser event Mm -hmm. that was going on here at the station, and then uh, you were feeling a little under the weather. Yeah, a little. (laughs) You're back now, though. Yeah. You survived. Yes, You're feeling good. And so were my two boys, so we were just doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to have you back. Glad you're healthy. We are excited this week to return to a Bible story. Yes. We're going to be talking about the woman at the well Mm -hmm. from the Gospel of John. This is a really interesting story for a few different reasons. One, women in the Bible is Mm -hmm. a big topic of conversation in our day and age and probably in other days and ages as well. (laughs) Yes. There's some interesting things about the woman at the well story. One, you were just reminding me that this is probably the longest one-on-one conversation Jesus has with anyone in all of the Gospels, Mm -hmm. which is kind of an interesting thing. This seemingly kind of random Samaritan woman at the well. Nameless. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of context I think we're going to have to provide to this story because there's a lot going on here, both in terms of the role of women Mm -hmm. in the society in that day and age, the role of the like Samaritan versus Jewish relationship and some of the history there. Obviously, what John is trying to tell us Mm -hmm. in his version of this story as he talks about it, some very confusing statements made throughout the Mm -hmm. story about water and living water and lots of confusion as well. And and even some argument, I would say, over this woman at the well Mm, and who she was. And was she a woman that was in sin or was she a woman that was being oppressed or Mm -hmm. some of both? And Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of disagreement when it comes to interpretations of this story that can dramatically change how we interpret it and Mm -hmm. what we draw from it. Mm -hmm. So really excited to, um, to dive into this. I was mentioning just a moment ago too, you've seen the show, the chosen. Yes. Yeah. One of their, I would say maybe even their kind of like biggest scene, I think it was in the first season Mm -hmm. of the show was this scene. This may not be exactly how it happened in the Bible, Mm -hmm. but it gives us a a window into what it might've been like. Mm -hmm. And I think certainly humanizes the characters in the story. Right, right. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think with even stories like this that are deeply personal, after I have read the story and read the story and read the story Mm -hmm. and studied the story Mm -hmm. and read commentaries on the story or whatever the case may be, I think I can lose touch a little bit with the humanity Mm -hmm. of the characters in the story. Mm -hmm. Like it feels kind of more of like an object lesson. Yeah. I just think like two dimensional. Yeah. You know, kind of flat. flat. Yeah. Yeah. And we assume a lot, a lot of times when we're maybe almost too familiar with a passage or story or whatever. Right. uh, When there might be something that we're missing, but we don't know what we don't know. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm excited to dive into the the humanity of the story as yes, well. Who yeah. was Jesus, mm-hmm. and who was this woman? As much as we can glean about mm-hmm. her, and what was their interaction and their relationship like? Mm-hmm. One of the places kind of that we have to start is the subject of women in the Bible mm-hmm. in general, because one, this is a hot topic: yeah. women's roles in leadership positions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the church, mm-hmm. in families. The terms you might have heard of are like complementarianism and egalitarianism, yes, yep. and people draw up battle lines Big over time. these issues. Yeah. And I don't mean to be like dismissive of those issues when I say that either, mm-hmm. because those arguments, those concepts, like have a lot of real world practical effects right. on yes, people. Yeah, that's true. And so our interpretation of stories like this really matters. Mm-hmm. And if we get it wrong, that really matters. Mm-hmm. And it can affect people in some pretty profound ways. Yes, yeah. So what's your just, I guess, kind of like from a high level view, the, hmm. the, the episode today, we're talking primarily about the woman at the well, right. not women in the Bible or women in leadership in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. But I do think it's an important thing to touch on that this story is one of the key stories that depending on how you interpret it could greatly influence your opinion or your views or your perspectives on mm-hmm. women in scripture from kind of a larger perspective. Yeah. I, I kind of think immediately of just kind of Bible study practice, like the ideal. There's a, a term exegesis, which mm-hmm. is you're trying to go from the Bible up, take it at face value and bring your interpretation using uh, how the Bible refers to itself, that that kind of practice. Yeah. And then you have isogesis, which is you're bringing insight into the Bible. So you're bringing stuff into it. It's really hard not to do yes, that. Yes. Right? I mean, we, by nature, we have a limited perspective. Therefore, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are always probably doing eisegesis to some extent, right? Yeah. yeah. And yet the ideal, I think, is still still good. Bible, what do you have to say about this? <laughs> you right. know? But this is a place, one of the many places where our assumptions really color how we read things. Mm-hmm. So if we take a modern, current day view of the equality of women mm-hmm. and in the empowerment of women, those kinds of things. And we take that and read it back into the Bible. We could say, man, this book is oppressive toward women. Mm. Really easy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see it. And at the same time, okay, if you take kind of the historical and cultural context of this book throughout the different books, what does it have to say about women? The fact that it says anything about women at all is important. Yes, right. Because <laughs> other texts do not. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, uh, and then you look at, well, what place do they have in scripture on its own terms in that historical and cultural context? And I think we'd probably be pretty surprised at how quote unquote progressive the Bible mm. can actually be from that standpoint. Yes. And it has a lot to teach us from that standpoint, I would say. Yeah. And this woman, in fact, in this story, perfect example, is a great example yeah. of that because she ends up playing a pretty prominent role in Jesus's ministry and mission. Yeah. <laughs> um, some people call her the first evangelist, yes, right? Yep, yep. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. The second framework, or I guess like lens that we would want to make sure that we understand mm-hmm. this story through is the gospel of John. Yeah. So yep. John writes mm-hmm. this story, by the way, you can find it if you want to read along with us in John chapter four. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to read through the whole story here on the podcast because you can do that uh, for yourself, but I encourage you to pause the podcast, maybe read read this Mm -hmm. through and then uh, jump back in with us. When we read any book, and that includes the books of the Bible, 
it's important to understand who is writing it, when they're writing it, who mm-hmm. they're writing it to. Yes, yeah. Because usually when we're writing something, I would say probably every time anyone has ever written anything, mm-hmm. even if it's a, a historical retelling of events, there's a, a point usually mm-hmm. that the author is trying to make, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe the point is as simple as I want you to know what happened, but the author's kind of intent colors the way a, a story is written mm-hmm. and recorded. That doesn't make it false or a bad thing or like a nefarious thing. Right, right. We've mentioned this before. If we take the modern historical practices of figuring things out, what happened when, minutiae and details and one thing after another, biblical history operates a lot differently in that it's a theological history. It's not just history, it's also from God's perspective, Mm. Yahweh's perspective. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? And so it's meaning-making, not only history, and and the Gospels are the same way. They're selective. John's is probably the most theological of the four Gospels. He also writes the latest. He's the one who lives the longest, as far as the 12 disciples. He's probably the closest disciple to Jesus. A lot of really interesting, intimate theological insights. One of the things I would note getting into John 4 is John 3. John writes through contrast, the Mm. whole book. Light and darkness is a great example. You have Nicodemus, highly respected religious Jewish leader, probably high socioeconomic status, comes to Jesus by night. He's hiding. He doesn't want to, you know, (laughs) his credibility is on the line. And the woman at the well, a Samaritan, low socioeconomic status, Mm. not a religious (laughs) teacher, in fact, in some ways, quote unquote, heretical by Jewish Mm -hmm. standards. She's hiding, but in broad daylight. Just in John 3 and John 4, you have this contrast that's really important. We'll just focus on John 4, but that's just an example of what the gospel writer John is up to and how he crafts this story. Yeah. Okay, so let's set the scene then of this story. John 4, Jesus is leaving Judea, Mm -hmm. and it says he had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, and that's when the Samaritan woman comes Mm -hmm. to draw water. Mm -hmm. So already there, there's a lot of things that we need to understand. But one of the first, and and you kind of just alluded to it, is the Samaritans Mm -hmm. and Samaria. Mm -hmm. And I actually remember being a kid and reading the story of the Good Samaritan. That's probably the story, and we've talked about it here on the show, that you might think of first when you think of Samaritan. Oh yeah, the Good Samaritan. I remember Jesus talking about that, right? And I also remember doing Bible studies or reading stories in Sunday school about the Old Testament nation of Israel, King David, King Solomon. Mm -hmm. And then I even learned, you know, starting to get into like Bible classes and stuff in high school, that the kingdom of Israel was split into two. Yes. That there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And then at one point, the Assyrians come in, they wipe out the north. Yes. About a century later, the Babylonians come Mm -hmm. in, they wipe out the south. So I kind of knew all of that. And yet somehow in all of that study and all of that, like learning, it it was much later, like at least high school, maybe college when finally like the light bulb went off and I was like, oh, the Samaritans, the Judeans, like this is from that. (laughs) Exactly. This is all the aftermath of this split kingdom that we read about in the Old Testament. The kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south. Right. And so the Assyrians, I think it's B.C. 722, Assyrians come in, 
their practice of exile w- was to um, intentionally mix religion and even mix the ethnicity or race. And so you kind of erase the culture mm. through that practice. The Babylonians later uh, exile Judah, but they had a different practice. They would keep the people intact, train them or educate, especially their higher class folks in Babylon, and then send them back is what in, ended up happening. So you have a more ethnically, racially, quote unquote, pure Israelite in Judah, the mm-hmm. Jewish people at this time. And then the Samaritans, which would be ethnically, you know, derogatorily, I guess you could say, would be referred to as half-breeds by the mm-hmm. Jews at this point. So they were not pure. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of animosity there, Yes. both because of that and just the, the other historical factors that played into that split as right. well. A big factor that comes out of that split is how the Northern Kingdom versus the Southern Kingdom views worshiping God yes, and where that yeah, should take place, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The Temple of Jerusalem mm-hmm. for Judea mm-hmm. versus up on the mountain in the Northern Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then you have the meeting place of this conversation with the Samaritan woman, yes. Jacob's Well, mm-hmm. which that in and of itself is is an incredibly important mm-hmm. landmark to the Samaritan people, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you have so much history tied up into just these first few verses. I mean, if nothing else, whenever we read Scripture, each one of these words really matters and could be a subject of study. So you yeah. like you go through, like, where is this place? You know, what's the history there? You know, mm. Jacob, who is he? Right. Where did this well come from? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> in terms of the land and the promise of Abraham. And, and in fact, that well is still running. It's over 4,000 years old, (laughs) and it's still going. You can find it today. Rich, rich history, and it's not myth. It's it's real. You could look at that well today and say, huh, Jacob, and, you know, God's promise, and what do I make of that? The story kind of makes it sound like Jesus is going from point A to point B. He's got to go through this area over here. Yeah, so quick. Right. It's the middle of the day. He gets kind of thirsty. He just happens to sit down by a well, Mm -hmm. and this woman happens to walk up. And then we happen to get the longest recorded one-on-one conversation with Jesus (laughs) in Scripture. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It seems to kind of imply, like, maybe this meeting was not Mm -hmm. as chance of a meeting as it might sound like at first glance. And that's another really rich thing about uh, biblical narrative a lot of times when modern writers write, they're very descriptive, a lot of detail and how they, you know, a biblical narrative is not just what's in there, but what's left out that makes your imagination go. So this is a, a great example of that is he had to go through Samaria and the, you look at a map. No, he didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the reason he had to was purposeful. Yeah. He wanted to go through there yeah, for why did a he reason. Have to go? Yeah, and that would make Jewish people angry, right? Yeah, and I mean, and Jewish people would have would have yeah, strictly avoided yeah, avoided I, it at all costs, even if it was directly on the right way. You go around, you go around yeah. the long way. That's something that says a lot, mm. you know. And also the fact that he stops at the well in the middle of the day and she's drawing water. You usually do that in the morning when it's cooler. And mm-hmm. so, what's her story? So, someone who would be reading that in that initial context, the the original readers would say, huh, there's a lot of question marks, and that's the beauty of the story. And that's one of the main marks of John's writing. He writes deceptively simply. Mm. I mean, it is simple, 
And then all of a sudden there's a rich depth if you want to go there. This is one of those examples. Yeah. So someone familiar with this culture and this time period would go, okay, there's some oddities here. Yeah. A Jewish man traveling. You're not supposed Samaria. to do that. Yeah. Right. Not supposed to do that. Middle of the day, the woman is there drawing water. Huh, that's not right. Yeah. Seems a little bit odd. We know that Jesus's disciples kind of leave him there mm -hmm. and he's left alone, which seems kind of odd as mm -hmm. well that yep. they all would leave and he remains there by himself with this woman. And then another kind of oddity, or maybe oddity is not even a strong enough word, maybe right. scandal, you might say, yep, yep. is Jesus talks to this woman. Mm -hmm. My wife really loves this story, mm -hmm. and she shared a book with me that is called The Gospel Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Mm -hmm. And the author of this mm -hmm. book talks a lot about the Gospels from a Middle Eastern perspective. He knows that culture, lives in that culture. And one of the things that he wrote about this passage that I found really interesting is he was like, I never, ever spoke to a woman when she was on her own and I was on my right. own yes. anywhere ever for any reason. Yeah. That's just not something that you do. Mm -hmm. And so already we have another, like just by the fact that this conversation begins, mm -hmm. we have kind of another one of these oddities and yeah. something is going on here that feels mm -hmm. a little more purposeful again than just yeah. a, a chance encounter. See, we've kind of gone through, it's kind of like, huh, that's interesting. That's not quite right. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And then you get the, this conversation started, it would be like, <gasps> yeah. You know, okay, now def it's oh, not just maybe man. something's Something wrong. wrong, something yeah. is wrong. Yeah, what yeah. is going on? And so it would be pretty scandalous. And at this time, a Jewish man would not talk to a Jewish woman in public, so not only one on one, not even their own wives in the case of rabbis. Mm. So Jesus is talking to a Samaritan, mm -hmm. right? First strike, Samaritan woman, two, two strikes, big strikes, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and so this is one of the big context things of, of John. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's the Word. Here's God. And He's living among us. What is He up to? So this mm. is what God is like? Mm. It kind of confronts, yeah. especially in that those first readers, their assumptions, yeah. their theology. What is God like? What is He? God um, is not maybe who we thought he was. Yeah, like he's, or he doesn't he, behave what is the he way up we to? Right, yeah. Yeah. And in some ways they shouldn't be surprised. Like one of the great Old Testament contexts of the story is in Genesis 16 and Hagar. And so I'd love to talk about that story sometime, but God sees and knows Hagar back in the day. Right. And yeah. cares for her when she's been cast off from Abraham and Sarah, you yeah. know. The conversation that Jesus and this woman have is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Jesus asks for a drink. And as we alluded to, this would probably have been a pretty scandalous thing to ask. The Samaritan woman kind of seems to imply that with her response, right? She's yes, like, yeah. you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. She even identifies both of those strikes that you exactly, mentioned. Exactly, right. And she says, how can you ask me for a drink? And then John even helps us out with a little parenthetical. He yeah. says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Yeah. So he's Thanks, even, John. He's yeah. even throwing that in there for us. And then Jesus goes very Jesus on her. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing I could say? Yeah, I think so. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Great. Sure. Great, <laughs> Jesus. Like, can you just imagine being this woman and hearing that and going like, is this guy delirious? Yeah. Like, is he that thirsty? Yeah. Like, has he been yeah. wandering out in the heat mm -hmm. all day? And he's kind of like off his rocker a little uh -huh. bit. Like, I, I would start to be like, 
is this a safe person? Like, uh-huh. like this sounds a little out there. Does it not? Yes, it does. And uh, but that's Jesus is from heaven, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's coming down, God who is taken on flesh and dwelt among us, and so. He has something spiritual to say hmm. in, in this context, and he's using water as kind of a metaphor, something he's going to use. I mean, one thing is that God in the flesh is tired and thirsty. That's amazing, yeah, right? To think that he would allow himself to be vulnerable and ask her for a drink, something hmm. that she could offer him hmm. is one beautiful thing that's noteworthy. But then also, he has spiritual water. He has this living water that you know, later he'll say kind of, runs up into eternal life that he wants to offer her. And so this is actually reciprocal. She has something that he needs. He has something that she needs. Yeah. And this is not unlike uh, the conversation in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, where Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher from God. You've done all these miracles. And then Jesus says, unless you're born again, <laughs> you can not enter right. the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And he's like, born again? Yeah. What are you talking about? And Nicodemus, like, really smart, educated guy. Yeah. Like, no idea what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, and so, again, you have the same kind of physical and spiritual metaphor, mm. being born and born again uh, with Nicodemus. And now we have water and living water yeah. with this woman. So they have this conversation about the water. Seems to be kind of a conversation that's happening, like you said, on two different two levels. levels. Yep. Right. She keeps saying, like, hey, you have nothing to draw the water with. If you have water that will like keep me from having to come back to this well over and over again and get water. I like that. Yeah. By all means, <laughs> give me some. Right. And then we get to this really interesting sharp left turn, at least as it appears to me. Right. Yeah. Where they're talking about the water. She says, Give me some. And Jesus says, Go call your husband and come back. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Is is this the point where Jesus says, "All right, I've talked to the woman enough. I need to talk to the man of the house." Like, yeah. you know, it, it feels like kind of this this sharp left turn. But then she replies, "I have no husband." And we know if we're coming at this from a Christian perspective that Jesus is the Son of God, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he probably knows this, mm-hmm. and yet he still said, "Go call your husband and come back." She says, "I have no husband," and he says, "Yep, you're right. You don't." You have had five, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves it at that. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> he yeah. stops, and you're, you're like, what is going on here? Totally. How, how yep. is this relevant to the rest of the story? Mm-hmm. Is he chastising her? Mm-hmm. One of the most common kind of interpretations of the mm-hmm. story is like, all right, well, if this woman has had five husbands, yep. and she's living now with a guy that's not her husband, yeah. This sounds like not a uh, not a great lady. Like right. she's got some improprieties going on. Mm-hmm. She clearly has like a, a sinful past or mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. Five husbands is a lot to go through. Right. So yeah. what's going on here? This definitely starts to set off some alarm bells in our heads about the character of this this woman. Right. Right. And that that would be really easy for us to assume. I can't tell you how many commentators that you know, have read typically white, not exclusively, but conservative Bible, you know, backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, go right in. This woman's adulteress and Jesus is confronting her with her life and her sin. And that's what it means to give someone living water. (laughs) And that very well could be, you know, maybe uh, she is sinful like the rest of us. And maybe this is part of her story. And maybe she's been in the wrong all these times. But again, eisegesis, right? Right. If we just stop and pause and say, no, what does it say? Mm. It doesn't say any of that. 
And again, John likes to leave question marks. Mm. He likes to leave you wondering, maybe it could have been this, maybe it could have been this. But either way, man, there's something significant going on here. Jesus sees and knows her, and she sees and knows that. There's a lot of potential explanations or thoughts that we could wonder about this woman in her story. Yeah. As we read this, there's no mention of the word sin. Yeah. No condemnation, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus doesn't condemn her. And that's not just because like Jesus doesn't do that. He has lots of other conversations, including with other women, Mm -hmm. where he says, go and sin no more. Yes. Yeah. Right. But that's not the exhortation that's given here at all. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful with some of those assumptions. There are a lot of important cultural contextual clues that I think can be helpful uh, mm-hmm. as we're as mm-hmm. we're trying to decipher all of that. Um, why would a woman get divorced five times? Well, women had no power in this culture, yeah. so it's yeah. not like she could just hop around from husband to mm-hmm. husband freely divorcing them like no, no. maybe a woman or a man could today. If she was being divorced, it was probably the man each time mm-hmm. initiating that divorce. Maybe it was because she couldn't bear children. Maybe there were mm-hmm. other reasons. Maybe it was because of something that she did, mm-hmm. but we don't know that. What the context would tell us is it's much more likely that the men in her life would be responsible for her multiple marriages mm-hmm. than she is. As a woman, like you have to have be married mm-hmm. to have someone to support you, right? Mm-hmm. And so like she doesn't s- probably have quite as much like choice and agency in the matter as we might think with our culture and our context people, individuals, and especially women, have a lot more power and agency now than they did then. Men could initiate and sign off on divorce independently of their wives. Women could not. They might initiate the process, but they couldn't. (laughs) That's another reason why I I think The Chosen, the series, um, does a really good job on this point. It shows that this this Samaritan woman stuck Mm. in this relationship where this man will not sign off on the divorce. And so, yeah, we we just don't quite know what's going on. But if it is the men in the story that have abandoned her at different places, for instance, or maybe even abused, or maybe they've died and she's been widowed. Maybe mm-hmm. she was sinful a couple times and they did You know, this is just a complicated story we can imagine. Jesus, whenever he talks to her one-on-one, big no-no, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder in her mind, if that's the case, what we were talking about, here we go again. Mm. Here's another man that's breaking the rules when it comes to me. Mm. And Jesus is not. Because all of those other men presumably would have broken the rules in ways that took advantage of her. If that is the case, like like, it makes that, that conversation even more profound. Yeah. Here's a man who like broke the rules, but not in an oppressive way. No, in in a way that offers her something Mm. that's, you know, ultimately of spiritual and eternal value. Yeah. Interestingly, one of the things that she picks out right away is, I can see that you are a prophet, she says, right? In our haste, I think, sometimes to try to understand, like, the nature of this woman and whether she was adulterous Mm -hmm. or a sinner, we can gloss over the fact that what she probably would have been most amazed by in that moment is, here's a guy who knows who I am and, like, knows my history and knows my past without presumably ever having met me before right right. like so this man is a prophet right Mm -hmm. and she identifies that right away and then she is the one next that makes a sharp left turn in the conversation (laughs) right so jesus does it first going from the water to the uh, marital situation Mm -hmm. 
And then she does kind of the same thing. And I've seen some people kind of say like, oh, she's kind of trying to distract from the fact that she's a sinner and that right, she's got five yeah. husbands yeah. and she's trying to change the subject. But we were just talking about these deep rooted divides yes. between the Samaritans yeah. and the Judeans and their ideas of worship and who God was and mm-hmm. how they feel about each other. I don't know. I've got to think that like she makes this left turn to our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She turns it to a spiritual conversation about worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I've got to think she's doing that because that's the thing that matters to her mm. and to her people, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes. like this is the issue between the Samaritans mm, and the mm-hmm. Jews, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. where do we worship God? How do we do this mm-hmm. right? We think we're right. You think you're right. If you're a prophet and I get a chance to ask mm-hmm. a prophet of God one question, let's forget about all that marital stuff for a second. <laughs> Here's my question for you, yeah. man of God. Yeah. Are we right or are you right? Mm-hmm. Where do we worship? That's yes. what I want to know. Yep. And I think that tells us something really interesting about this woman as well, about where her heart was and her priorities. Yes, yeah. I wouldn't think it's a distraction. There's a a couple clues. One is Samaritans did not take the prophets as scripture. They only took the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, as scripture. And so one of the reasons for that is in Deuteronomy 18, I believe it is, Moses says, look for a prophet that will come after me. Mm. And the Samaritans said, he just said one prophet. What are all these other prophets doing? right? Maybe they're not legitimate. Yeah. And with that, through that prophecy, they are actually looking for the Messiah actively, looking for the Christ actively. Whereas the the Jews, and Jesus has this all the time, they're not. Right. They're looking for following the rules. Mm. The fact that she says, I see that you're a prophet, she's almost saying what she's going to say later, which is maybe this is the Messiah, the, the Christ. prophet, yeah. And so she asks, okay, what side of the issue are you on? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, neither. <laughs> neither, both, both, a new way. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is one of my favorite passages yes, in the yeah. book of John, Jesus' response here. I think it's so beautiful. It says, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A verse or two later, he says, a time is coming, and as indeed, like, now come, he says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Then the bombshell drops, Mm -hmm. right? Where she says, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to sort all this out for us, right? Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting answer, too, because like... Jesus is talking about all the water and now he's talking about worshiping in spirit and truth. And like, there's just a lot (laughs) of, again, like language here that I think we could forgive this woman if she doesn't fully understand. If an educated man like Nicodemus doesn't get it, it's no besmirchment upon her reputation that like she didn't quite get this either. Mm -hmm. And she's like, look, the Messiah is coming. I have faith in that. He's going to sort all this out for us. And then Jesus drops the bombshell, right? I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Mm -hmm. What a reveal. To a Samaritan woman Mm -hmm. at a well in the middle of the day, talking about things we don't expect God to do. Mm -hmm. Like this, like this is the person that you're going to reveal this to. And he hasn't done that up to this point. Mm -mm. No, no. This is a kind of a turning point in the gospel of John. Again, it's kind of quote unquote scandalous. Mm -hmm. It's not what you would expect. 
there's a couple things with this is he says, neither here or there will you worship the Father. So he's including her, yeah, which is incredible. Mm. And the Father is seeking such worshipers. Mm. He's looking for you. Yeah. You're the type that I'm You're looking for. You're the one. Oh. Has she ever been called that ever? Probably not. Mm-hmm. This is like really tremendous. Mm. Naming her pointing her out and saying, the Father is seeking you. You know, you won't worship here or there, but in spirit and in truth. And yes, I am He. (laughs) I'm the Messiah. And I've come later on in the passage that He's the one that would be the Savior of the world. The whole town says it. From there, she goes and she spreads the good news. A lot of people call her the first evangelist Mm -hmm. for Jesus, right? She goes, she tells people that she's met the Christ that he's arrived, she goes and tells her entire town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Mm. And they came out of town and they made their way toward him. They listened to her, by the way. Incredible. Which is is interesting. If she was a woman of ill repute, Mm -hmm. would they have? May kind of lend credence to the idea that maybe she wasn't as much of a sinner or of Mm -hmm. ill repute as sometimes she's made out to be. Or at the very least, that her testimony was just that compelling. Yes. Right? That she was like, no, I I am sold out on this guy. Mm -hmm. This is the guy. I don't know. Like every time I read the story Mm -hmm. or I watch like the Chosen's interpretation of the story, I just come away going like, man, what a story. Yes. Like about this woman, the last person you would ever think to become the first evangelist to use a very, very modern youth group terminology on fire for Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Right away after this one encounter, yes, long conversation for the gospels, but Mm -hmm. not, you know, uh, they just met. Right. Yes. Yeah. And she's like, this is the guy. And I just can't help, but as I'd like finish this story and then take a step back from it, Mm -hmm. I just don't come away from this story going like, This is primarily a story about Jesus chastising a woman who's made mistakes. Mm. That just does not seem to be the theme of what's going on here at all. If anything, it seems to be like a celebration of like, you are included in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And in fact, congratulations, you just got the first invite. (laughs) Go spread the word about the coming party. Right? I mean, like how cool and joyous of an occasion Mm -hmm. is that? Yeah, it's incredible. And I, I think it's interesting to see what what of this conversation that did she take away? Was it the water metaphor? Mm. Did she like run to the town? Hey, listen to this water metaphor that this <laughs> yeah, guy gave me. I don't me. have to go to the well yeah. anymore. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> let me tell you about Mount Gerizim and and which was seemed yeah, pretty important. And to Jerusalem her. and yeah. you know, no. Come see this man who told me my story. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. And I think that that is the emphasis of the story. Jesus sees and knows her and she comes to see and know him. Mm. That's what living water is. Mm. What a beautiful thing, like, like you said, that no one would pick her out. Maybe even people were avoiding her and she was avoiding others going to the well, you know, in the middle of the day. And Jesus says, no, you're the one I want. Yeah. The father is seeking you out to worship in spirit and in truth. Mm. It's beautiful, it's redemptive, it's stunning. And um, to think, who would we count out? Who would I count out? And Jesus would just not. He just wouldn't. He would have this kind of a conversation. This is what God in the flesh looks like. You're thirsty and you don't even know it, maybe. Maybe you do. <laughs> yeah. That's why you're here in the middle of the day, right. you know, drawing water. But I have living water. I have worship and spirit and truth. I have the, the Father who knows you and is seeking you out. I have a salvation and eternal life for you. What do you think? 
Mm. Yeah. To not just not count her out, but to count her in really so in profoundly. The disciples would not have this kind of ministry for quite some time. Yeah. And I, I would note <laughs> I mean, that by the end of the story, I know, they like, come back and they're like, what was that about? And they're like, by the way, do you want some food? And he's like, oh, I, he goes back on the metaphor train yeah, exactly. again, this time with food instead of water. And they're like, yeah, we have no idea what you're yeah, talking about. Right. Like, I mean, they're still lost for a while. But. And here's the deal, talking about women in the Bible. Mm. Mary Magdalene would have to tell the disciples the news about his resurrection mm. before they would get with the program, by yeah, the way. Yeah. And so the Samaritan woman says... Bit of a pattern Yeah, here. exactly. This is like... This is something to notice. Yeah. What is what is uh, Jesus up to redemptively with men and women? Yeah. And what does that look like? And just, man, what a woman, what a story, what a savior. Man, if she could be counted in and given living water and be given enough to share with others, maybe I can too. Hope for the rest of us. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Faith Refresh. You can find more Real FM pods and tons of other cool stuff on the Real FM app and at real.fm.